every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to a brand new week. I hope you enjoyed the long weekend. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Monday the 29th of May. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for Peter Lewis's Money Talk in your favourite podcast app. Or go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com and follow one of the links there. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, White House and Republican negotiators reached a tentative deal late Saturday to raise the US debt ceiling and avert a default. The deal includes a two-year debt limit increase and a two-year agreement that keeps non-defence spending roughly flat with current levels, while increasing it by 1% in 2025, with no further caps after that. Republicans had initially pushed for deeper spending cuts over a decade. US inflation and consumer spending accelerated last month, increasing the chances of another interest rate hike next month. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index which measures how much consumers pay for goods and services, and a core measure that excludes food and energy, both exceeded estimates. The core PCE index, which is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, unexpectedly jumped to 4.7% year-on-year last month from 4.6% in March. The Commerce Department's data also surprised economists with the strongest gain in household spending since the start of the year. Profits at industrial firms in China fell in the first four months of the year on cooling demand, deepening factory gate deflation and margin pressures. Profits earned by China's industrial firms dropped by 20.6% from a year earlier in the first four months of 2023. The decline followed a 21.4% plunge in the prior period and a 4% fall in the whole of 2022, with profits shrinking in both state-owned firms and the private sector. U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo met her Chinese counterpart Wang Wentou Friday. She discussed concerns on recent actions taken on American companies operating in China. Mr. Wang raised concerns about U.S. export controls in areas such as semiconductors, as well as a proposal to review outbound investments for security purposes. Mr. Wang is expected to meet U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai in the coming days. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Sunil Kashap, Director of FinMet. And with a view from mainland China is Ben Carinder, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Peter Money Talk. US stocks hit a nine-month high on Friday, propelled by solid economic data and a rally in technology shares. The S&P 500 advanced 1.3% to end the session at 4,205. That's its highest level since mid-August. For the week, the benchmark index gained a third of a percent, notching its second straight week of gains. The Dow rose 329 points, or 1%, to 33,093. Over the five trading days, it dropped 1%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite led the way, gaining 2.2% to 12,976, boosted by a rally in artificial intelligence-related stocks. The Nasdaq, which is off to its best start in more than 30 years, rose 2.5% for the week, its fifth consecutive week of gains. 
The advance was led by shares in computer chip design and NVIDIA, which jumped last week to take the company's valuation close to the trillion dollar mark. On Thursday, NVIDIA soared 25% to an all-time high, adding just under $200 billion in market cap, boosted by chips that are driving the artificial intelligence revolution. And that is the largest single-day market cap gain for any stock in US equity market history. From the October 2022 lows, NVIDIA has risen now more than threefold, adding $665 billion US dollars in market cap, and its shares are up nearly 160% this year alone, putting it on the cusp of becoming the first $1 trillion chip company. Last week's surge was sparked by its latest quarterly results. The company said it was raising production of chips to meet surging demand as the AI boom translated into record sales. An excitement that the new era in computing is kicking in faster than previously thought sent chip stocks around the world soaring. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, which makes NVIDIA's chips, rose over 14% in US trading on Thursday and Friday. Equipment supplier Advantest surged over 21% to an all-time high in Tokyo over the same over the same period, while Hynex advanced almost 12% in Seoul in just two days. And in Europe, semiconductor uh, stocks ASML jumped almost 10% since NVIDIA's results and BE Semiconductor Industries nearly 12%. Chinese stocks hovered around a five-month low. The CSI 300 index of the largest companies listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen was down 2.4% last week. And heading towards a fourth straight losing month, the benchmark has slipped 8.4% from its peak now at the end of January, wiping out $1 trillion in value from domestic A shares. Hong Kong markets were closed for a public holiday. Last week, the Hang Seng Index fell 3.6% over the four trading days. And futures markets are pointing to a gain of around 100 points in the Hang Seng this morning. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests. We have our regular Monday morning commentator, Alex Wong, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. And also with us, Sunil Kashap, who is director of Finmet's Morning, Sunil. Good morning. Let's start with this uh, debt debt default deal. White House and Republican negotiators have reached a tentative deal to raise the U.S. debt ceiling and avert a default that threatens to derail the U.S. economy and send tremors through global financial markets. Speaker Kevin McCarthy said the deal included historic reductions in spending and that he planned to have it ready for a vote in the House on Wednesday. President Joe Biden said it represents a compromise, which means not everyone gets what they want. And the deal includes a two-year debt limit increase and a two-year agreement that keeps non-defence spending roughly flat with current levels while increasing it by 1% in 2025, with no further caps after that. Republicans had initially pushed for uh, larger cuts over a decade, and the agreement doesn't create work requirements for Medicaid recipients, which was a key sticking point between the two sides. Alex and Sunil, the deal reached, but I suspect this is not the end of the matter, is it? Mm, I think, uh, of course, uh, it... We will uh, continuously have uh, uh, talks over the debt limit uh, later on. But uh, at the, in the meantime, I think uh, this is over. I think, uh, and the market actually expected that. So uh, probably um, people would put this aside and, and, and focus on other things right now. Yeah, I think what, you know it's not done right now because the Congress uh, still needs to approve it and, and it has to go through the process. So you'll still have a situation where some of the hardliners could, for example, 
uh, stick to their demands and, and it goes into a world. But I think overall, it's like uh, the market expected. We, all, we go through this drama every few years and ultimately it gets done. It has to get done. So that's what's going to happen and the markets are going to look beyond it. So do you think, I mean, particularly in the bond markets, that's where we've seen the stress, isn't it? We've seen short-term treasury bills recently hit, hit a yield of 7%. I think that was an all-time high um, on them. Does this mean now that that's all going to get unwound over, over the coming days now and bond markets are going to return back to normal? I think the fear uh, of, of default will go. Uh, maybe, maybe during the uh, Congress posturing, it may fluctuate a bit. But once the vote is uh, all done and dusted, uh, by June, before June fifth, I think it'll it'll be over. But uh, you know, the concern of inflation will still remain. So I think bonds are still going to be a little bit under pressure. Alex, well, I suppose one of the things, though, that even even if this deal is over, even if it gets passed, there are some things that are going to happen now, aren't there? Because the, the Treasury has virtually run out of money. It's got $39 billion. That's the lowest level since 2017. It's got to replenish its coffers, haven't it? So that means large sales of Treasury bills, which is going to suck quite a lot of liquidity um, out of the market, just when the Fed has been rapidly raising interest rates. Presumably, there, there are going to be some consequences from this. Yeah, that means uh, the bond market actually would not have much rebound. I think uh, the weights probably will stay a little bit high and given the latest round of inflation data, actually, I think the market would expect uh, the weights to stay high. Let's suppose that the Treasury does run out of cash. Let's suppose there's a, a delay um, in this vote because there are hardliners who are threatening to try and derail it all. It's going to need votes from both sides. What happens then if there's a default? We heard uh, last week Moody's warning that uh, if the Treasury does miss this interest payment, then they're gonna, it's going to cost the US its AAA grade rating. How, how significant would that be? I think we had something similar in 2011 uh, where you went over the brink for a day or two mm. and, then every, and then sanity gets resumed. So I think that's what's going to happen now. But uh, Moody's this time around is talking about it won't be the de- uh, the AAA rating gets downgraded and then it bounces back afterwards. They're going to keep it at this lower notch now um, until because they'll they'll say this could go on a- again and again in future years. So this means that the US could lose its credit rating for quite a while. Well, I think uh, probably um, market actually has nowhere to go uh, other than US Treasuries. So <laughs> I think uh, it will not have that, that kind of impact. I think, yeah. Likewise, I think uh, you know. I, I like. I think uh, you know. Commentators like to talk about doomsday scenarios, <laughs> etc. But it's unlikely. You, so you don't think you you you're you're pretty confident. It sounds like it that you know we're not going to see uh, this big shock to global financial markets. That I, this is really done done that done put that out of the out of the way. I think there'll be lots of drama on the way, but it, ultimately we'll get there. Do you do do you do anything, Alex, with your portfolio to prepare for a possibility that the US could default? Is there anything you can do um, uh, about it, or, 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 or do you just sit tight and assume it's not going to happen? Actually, uh, the, the only thing you can do probably is buy some gold on the current dips. So this is a, just a safe uh, uh, measures to, to to do. So since it has uh, come down so much, I think uh, which you can you can buy some gold on current dip as insurance. Mm. Okay. Now, what about uh, inflation? We had some data uh, from the US on Friday about the core uh, personal consumption expenditure. 
Uh, that's the, the Fed's uh, preferred uh, rate of inflation. Both U.S. inflation and consumer spending accelerated last year. The PC index increased 0.4% month on month after rising 0.1% in March. Uh, prices for goods increased 0.3%. Services inflation accelerated to 0.4%. And the core PCE index, which is the one that the Fed watches, rose 0.4% in April, um, ahead of March's 0.3% increase. And on an annualised basis, it rose to 4.7% last month from 4.6% in March. Not much sign there that inflation is coming down, is there? No, there isn't. Uh, I think one thing to remember is the equity markets, uh, which form part of largest part of the financial markets. In the in in these equity markets, uh, people want lower interest rates because the valuations go higher. So you you saw the similar situation last year when um, the Fed was talking about transitory insure uh, a, a, a transitory um, uh, inflation and. And all the commentators were saying, yes, 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 you know, inflation is not going to arise. And so you have a similar thing playing out where everyone is looking for a pivot in interest rates. So they want to believe that inflation will come down. Uh, but it's not happening. The mm. data doesn't show it yet. Yeah. Is it worrying, Alex? This, that it's really quite sticky, isn't it? And also the core number suggests that maybe inflation is starting to become embedded in people's minds. They are expecting uh, price rises. Yeah, I think this is a little bit worrying because uh, it has not come down, uh, e- even as uh, commodities come down. So that means that something actually was wrong structurally. So I think uh, this is a bit worrying in the long term. Yeah, yeah what, what's happening is wages are going up. Uh, people have more money. They're spending. So, um, you know, what the best likely uh, situation may be that once you get to the summer, people start saying, OK, I need to save up again and then stop spending because they're worried about inflation in the future. But right now... Um, uh, sorry, they worry about a recession in the future. So, but right now, what you have is a situation where people are spending, their salaries going up, they're spending. So that cycle of inflation is going through. And we're seeing uh, personal spending in the US, the highest level of the year, jumped 0.8% month on month. What was interesting was the things they were spending on, like health care, for example, and insurance. It sort of suggests that um, the the psyche of the consumer has changed, uh, particularly post-COVID, that has become more concerned about things like health care, like like having proper um, insurance, and maybe are are more interested in things like that than necessarily buying luxury items or or big-ticket items. That's right. And, And more importantly, these are uh, price inelastic so even when prices go up you still buy insurance so Mm. you have a situation where it creates that uh, stickiness of uh, inflation because people will still buy even though the prices are higher Alex what does the Fed do? Mm, I think uh, we probably may still see um, one or two more height in the the near future but you know they will pause I mean I believe that uh, the next month will they will pause and and, and, and let let the market do its thing and see whether um, there is a, a reduction in inflation again so they'll give it they'll give it a month or two uh, but if it doesn't happen I think they'll, cu- they'll come back forcefully the, the policymakers on the FOMC seem quite divided though don't they about this about whether to pause or, or not we had some comments. Uh, last week from various policymakers, some of whom were saying exactly that, that we need some time now to assess. Others were saying, nope, you know, inflation is just not coming down enough. We've got to keep on going. But they are all unanimous that they will increase rates if inflation remains. Mm. 
So, I mean, the other thing that's happening is the markets are also repricing the chances of a rate cut or several rate cuts by the end of the year. They were initially talking about um, three 25 basis point rate cuts by the end of the year. That's virtually been completely priced out um, now. But presumably that's because it was just unrealistic in the first place, wasn't it? That That was never going to happen and certainly not if you believe the Fed. Yeah, I think, uh, of course, uh, this is more difficult now because of the uh, stickiness of the inflation. But I think this does not affect the market right now because uh, the, the, the expectation for AI growth actually is so high. So mm-hmm. it trumps everything, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, people were hoping um, that somehow inflation would come down so soon, just like they were last year, and it didn't happen. Mm. I, I want to switch uh, attention to the equity markets. We've got this almost euphoric rally going on now in artificial intelligence stocks. We saw that with uh, NVIDIA. It's almost become worth $1 trillion now, which added $200 billion in just two days. That's uh, the biggest increase in market cap um, on record. It was all sparked by their earnings, where they say that there was uh, there was increasing demand for AI-related chips. Alex, how, how real is this is this going to be the next now big theme in uh, in markets i heard one analyst de- describe it as a new gold rush with nvidia selling all the picks and shovels is is that where we're at yeah right we're not, we, we are now uh, at this kind of uh, fever and i think uh, this is just uh, getting more crazier i think uh, probably we would continue to see this kind of strength in the market but uh, since uh, we Probably uh, are expecting uh, the inflation to remain sticky. So, um, other than the uh, tech parts of the market, actually, other other segments probably may be ring a little bit weak. So, we would see a very big polarization in the global market. So, uh, AI-related themes actually would remain strong, but uh, other things probably a little bit weak. Uh, so, we probably may see weakness in the financial sectors and 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 other things uh, related to China consumption, probably. So, I think uh, we will see a bull market and bear market to occur uh, simultaneously. Yeah, I I am very skeptical skeptical about this. Yeah, I think I mean I think it's a great technology, uh, but it reminds me very uh, very much of what happened about metaverse a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Everyone was talking about metaverse, mm-hmm. and there was so so much money going into it. And Facebook decided to commit ten billion dollars, and and then you had this big surge in metaverse stocks. And then what happened is, uh, you know, people just lost interest because there was it, the the dream was great, but the delivery was very slow. And I think the same situation may arise with AI. It's a great technology. It has huge potential, but these things take years to come to fruition. And, and the market is, I think, pricing in, uh, in the, the most uh, positive scenario of mm. it happening within a few weeks. And um, and I think that's, that's going to be a realization later. I, I think also this is driven by the fact that there's no real good stories out there. So the bulls need a good story, and then everyone's rushing into AI. If you look at actual earnings of companies, it's pretty flat mm. and and so that's why this is you know people are latching onto this feel good story I never really understood the metaverse what it was how it was going to help me but I, I do get AI and you know chat GBT and things like that I, I can understand how they're going to um, help We're, Jensen Huang he's the co-founder and CEO of NVIDIA he's in Taipei at the moment and he was speaking at the University of Taiwan he's basically saying that new, this new technology is going to transform the corporate landscape he said AI is going to create new jobs but make others obsolete and he said firms and individuals should familiarise themselves with artificial intelligence or risk losing out according to Mr Huang do, do, do you agree 
agree with that, um, Alex? Is that is that where we're at? This is basically a new technology in something along the lines of maybe the mobile phone or the internet that's going to completely transform the landscape. Yeah, I think of course it'll take years. Uh, so um, right now, people probably are focusing on the stories and are not about the business model. So um, this problem may create uh, something uh, like a very big bubble. While in the meantime, so um, I think uh, this uh, this this will continue to to, to play out because uh, this is a more solid story than than the uh, metaverse. So uh, so we we'll probably may continue see the funding flow into this sector, and then actually the market like good story as a. Uh, uh, Right now, uh, we are talking about the recession risk in the world. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I just use your analogy, Peter, like you said about picks and shovels. I think the first person who makes picks and shovels makes some money, uh, but then uh, people follow very soon. So the real people who make money are the people who discover the gold. Mm. So uh, at the end of the day, I think the people who use that AI, who are able to harness the, the, the uh, strength of AI, the power of AI, are the ones who are going to benefit. So is NVIDIA unique then because it just dominates the market, doesn't it, for chips in that AI sector? It's got this huge lead over its rivals. Is NVIDIA in the situation where it's the only one or are other companies, other chip companies going to catch up? I think currently this is quite unique and probably it will benefit other 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 segments like TSMC or ASML. But mm. uh, in the meantime, probably uh, NVIDIA would still be the most priciest one. But presumably you can invest in other things as well, can't you? If you want to follow the AI trend, it doesn't just have to be chips. You could invest in some of the software companies, some of the uh, cloud storage companies, the, the, the firms that make servers and routers. Are, are they all going to be beneficiaries of this? Yeah, they are actually rallying. Uh, if you look at Oracle, actually, it's making new high right now. So uh, we are talking about uh, the, 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 the cloud comp- computing companies right now already. So um, I think uh, this probably may, may be another film right now. And, and what about firms like Taiwan Semiconductor? They make um, basically the chips that NVIDIA needs, don't they? Is, is this going to be a big boost to them as well? Uh, of course, yeah. This, this is also, they are quite unique in terms of manufacturing capabilities. So I think that this is also another beneficiary. But presumably we've got regulation on the horizon. That's what a lot of um, firms and, and regulators are talking about. This needs to be regulated in, in some way. Even people who are in the industry are saying that. Presumably that's going to be the risk to this, uh, this boom in this segment. I think it will be a risk in terms of the rate of growth. So maybe the growth may take time because it's going to be more measured. Uh, but the fact is that uh, you know, over the long term, um, regulation will be good for the industry because it will make people focus towards the positive aspects of AI rather than negative ones. Mm. Well, where does China fit into this, Alex? Can, can China make these types of chips itself or is it also sort of behind? I think the market actually is, uh, is, is, is a work of no, no confidence right now because if you look at the um, uh, chip sectors in China, actually they lack a lot uh, behind the, the, the overseas peer. Mm. So the market actually is uh, a bit worrying about the growth. And actually the whole market actually is uh, lagging behind because of the uh, market um, uh, no, no trust on, on, on China development of AI. Mm. I mean, the, the, the uh, Jensen Wang was talking about that uh, last week, saying that um, basically this chip war with China is, is risking enormous damage uh, to, to the U.S. tech sector. Uh, he did an interview with the uh, the Financial Times uh, last week, and he said these export controls um, leave them with their hands behind their back. And what China will eventually do is it will just make the chips itself and, and catch up. But uh, I think the market expects China to take 
long time to catch up. I think uh, because this is advancing so fast. So I think uh, market actually is uh, is not believing that China will catch up in 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 no time. So I think uh, that's why market actually uh, does not like the China play right now. Mm. Yeah, I think geopolitics is playing a big role. I mean, you know, what's happening is that to, in order to make uh, these ships, you need a particular kind of equipment, and a lot of that equipment is made in the West, in Europe, mm. for example, in the Netherlands. Mm. And so, uh, using its power, um, you know, the US is trying to avoid uh, to stop um, those those exports of equipment from from Europe to to China. Mm. I mean, th- th- this tech war is it getting out of hand? Because we've now got uh, China retaliating against Micron. Um, for example, the U.S. says that's not acceptable, although I find it a little bit strange. The U.S. on the one hand says it doesn't want to sell high-tech equipment uh, to, to China, mm. so China says, okay, we'll ban it then, and now they're upset about it. It, it. it seems to all be getting completely out of hand, doesn't it? So I think uh, this is uh, uh, not good for China, because uh, actually I think China is the one to hurt. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that was and it's inevitable. I mean, so you're right, because China still needs the basic technology to get up to that level, to scale up. And so by, uh, you know, with this issue, I mean, in a way they don't have a choice. They have to retaliate. Mm. Um, But uh, it is a difficult situation where where China was just ramping up its uh, capability and it's been stopped. And and it's sort of shot itself in the foot in the process. Um, it's, It's reacted from a geopolitics way correctly. But then economically, it's going to suffer. Mm. Well, what about Chinese stocks? They're, they're hovering around a five-month low um, now. A lot of focus on the, the sluggish economic recovery, also the geopolitical issues. The Shanghai Composite had three straight days of losses um, and is down 2.2% over the week to a five-month low. The CSI 300 index, which is uh, the largest companies listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen, that was down 2.4% last week and is heading towards its fourth straight uh, losing month. The benchmark slipped now 8.4% from its peak in January, wiping out um, all its gains for the year. What, what's gone wrong, Alex? We had a good rally, didn't we, really, yeah. into the beginning of the year, which is what started about September, October time, on the hopes of China reopening, and, and that's all been given back now. Yeah, I think that the most worrying part of this current decline is this decline in the consumption sectors. If you look at leaning uh, Anta shares in Hong Kong, actually they are so weak. I think people are now derating the consumption sector in China because of the uh, disappointments on on, on the China consumption market. Actually, we are seeing uh, weakness in uh, overseas market market companies doing business in China as well. If you look at Nike, actually, it's declined over 10% this month. So I think... uh, the market actually is now a bit worrying about the consumptions uh, uh, spending in China. So uh, this is uh, the most worrying part because uh, in the past uh, uh, we are seeing weakness in the tech sectors already because of the regulatory risk. But I think people are a little bit um, optimistic towards the China consumption story. But right now I think uh, they have completely changed the stance and we are seeing that the rating and actually they are Actually, they are pricier than, than, than overseas companies uh, uh, because of the growth prospects. So right now, probably we may continue to see this kind of devaluation. So that would mean quite a lot of trouble ahead in China market. Really? So, so you don't think this is fully priced in, even though there's been a lot of focus on the weakness in the consumption sector? We've had plenty of data now, haven't we, retail sales and yep. so on. You, you don't think this is fully priced in yet? Yeah, I think uh, we probably may continue to see um, uh, devaluation because if you look at the tech sector, actually the devaluation is, is so strong. 
in in Alibaba and, and other things. And right now we are seeing a devaluation in the consumption sectors. So they are they are they probably may come down another four to five points uh, in in in, in P multiples because of uh, uh, the the worry and they are actually more pricier than 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 overseas peer in the past. So I think uh, this is uh, something we need to look uh, in in China market right now because uh, right now actually it is only supported by SOE. So uh, people actually have nowhere to go other than SOE in China right now. So uh, the consumption sector actually is a is a bit worrying to me. So yeah, I think I think what we have in China is, is a crisis of confidence. Um, you know, if you talk to people, you find that uh, amongst the private sector, yeah, there is a, a sense of uh, uncertainty about what the government expects from them. Uh, and whether they can deliver what the what the government expects from them, and the second is the consumer uh, consumer confidence is is not that high. I think they've been through such a difficult time because of COVID, and the sudden change in policies there leaves them a bit perplexed about what's what the future holds. So that's what you're seeing played out played out in the markets. Alex, though, if you're talking about a four to five uh, times re-rating on the multiple, I don't know what that translates into into percentage declines, but that's quite big, isn't it? If, it, if we've got to shave off another four to five times earnings. Yeah, yes, it's already happening, actually. If you look at Nining and look at uh, Anta, they're already uh, are having that kind of decline. So uh, we probably may still continue to see that because uh, uh, they, are, they are not, too cheap, and and they are they are not having the, the the power to compete in the global market. Actually, they are mm. they are quite very focusing on the local market. So uh, that is a, a bit worrying to me. And what about foreigners? They seem to be very underweight now, don't they? They sold about eighteen billion dollars of uh, eighteen billion yuan of shares last week. That's about two and a half billion dollars. Uh, they've sold about twenty-seven billion during the first three months of the year. They must be getting to the point now where they are extremely underweight. Yeah, all right. So, so uh, we may see uh, some kind of snapback rally later on uh, because of this, but I don't think uh, that would mean a reversal. So we probably may see some kind of snapback rally later on because uh, foreigners actually have come uh, have have foregone. So uh, Chinese are actually dominating the market, but I don't think uh, uh, any kind of that kind of uh, rally probably would would propel into a sustainable one. You're quite bearish. This is this is quite a bearish call, Alex. Yeah, actually, if you look at the market right now, actually, it's quite bearish because uh, uh, in the world, actually, the, the, the market are supported by the AI, AI concept. But in China, it is probably the only market which lacks this kind of expectation. Mm. So that's why China probably will underperform the other part of the world. And, and do you think there'll be some policy support? Could there be interest rate cuts, triple R cuts, something like that to try and help boost the markets? Yeah, I think so. But uh, that uh, probably may, may just uh, give uh, some short-term support only. Because uh, uh, what happened in China actually is a confidence issue. So young people actually are feeling uh, lost and they are not uh, getting married or, 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 or the, the birth rate actually is really low and, and, and the marriage rate actually is really low right now. So I think uh, the, the problem is uh, lying long term. So uh, this, uh, I think, uh, is a quite big problem right now. And when you've got a youth unemployment rate of what one in five people, 20% out of work, it, it's not surprising really, is it? I suppose that the people are not feeling very confident or cheerful. Yeah, right. I think uh, you, you cannot expect the market, uh, to, the, the government to do everything right now because uh, this uh, is not helping the psychology of, uh, of, of the consumer or the young people right now because uh, the competition actually is really high and they, they probably are feeling very lost 
So uh, this is uh, translating into their their their, their behaviour. Sunil, are you expecting some policy support from the mainland? I, I think there is one potential upside, which is, you know, there are ongoing talks between the U.S. and China. So you may have a situation where uh, the Chinese side is incentivized right now to try and see whether uh, they can rebalance the current environment and, and mm-hmm. just tone down uh, the, the level of stress, uh, level of tension between the two countries. And if you start seeing signals of that and there's more sort of cooperation being done in the future, then I think the markets may be seeing a positive uh, move. Uh, Alex, how much is the rally in other markets around the region sucking money out of China? For example, Japan, where we're seeing it now, the Nikkei went above 31,000 last week. That was, what, back to 1990 um, levels. Is that draining money also from China? Yeah, I think so, because uh, right now, um, if you want to play into China stories actually you can also play into japan because mm-hmm. many japanese companies actually operate in china and they are they are they are more aggressive than before uh y- even if you in uh, in hong kong you can see a lot of japanese uh, companies expanding in hong kong to to try to test the waters in for the china market so so if you want to play you can you can go into japan to 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 try to get a grab of a china consumption market as well so that's why i think uh, people probably would feel it safer because uh, uh, they are global play and they have competed they, they they can compete in the global market right now but uh, for chinese brand actually uh, only a few can play because if you look at the the, the tech sector probably the, the only one you can you can get through is a pdd right now because it's a it's a it's a very strong app in in the U.S. But uh, other things, actually, they are quite localized. So I think uh, that's why uh, uh, people probably would go into other markets to 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 try to get the China consumption story. Well, thank you both very much. You heard there Alex Wong, director at Alex K Y Wong Asset Management, Sunil Kashap, who is director of FinMet. <laughs> I'm joined now by Ben Cavender, who is Managing Director of the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. Morning, Ben. Good morning. I wanted to ask you what's gone wrong for Chinese stocks with, with the CSI 300, the Shanghai Composite, now down at a five-month low, um, wiped out all the gains that we've seen uh, from, from, the low of the, uh, from the low of the year and also coming close to wiping out that rally that we saw from, the, uh, from about September, October time last year. Yeah, you know, I think if you, you go back a few months, there were a lot of investors that, that thought perhaps the recovery in China was going to go reasonably well. And I think you started to see money coming back into the market here, sort of hoping for that recovery story to be quite good. Uh, and in reality, I think what we've seen is while the economy is improving, uh, it's still very hit or miss depending on the sector depending on the region within China. And so the numbers just just aren't that good, and they, they don't warrant the strong gains that investors feel they need to get. And so I think that's why you're seeing the exodus right now. Is this a consumption story that, uh, you know, consumption just isn't holding up in the way that people had hoped after the, uh, after the reopening? Yeah, I think there, there are a couple of parts to it. I think definitely on the consumption side, Consumers are still very, very cautious about the economy. I I think that COVID was a reality check for a lot of people in terms of them having to maybe dip into their savings and and, and use those to kind of cover their their daily life. And so I think people are quite a bit more hesitant to spend, especially on big ticket purchases right now. Uh, At the same time, 
uh, if you look at the workforce, traditionally have been big consumers, sort of younger Chinese in their their early twenties. Um, it's a pretty sort of concerning story right now, I would say, for for employment. The unemployment numbers that just came out have kind of continued to get worse. And so mm. I think you just have a lot of people buckling down right now. Uh, and then on the supply side, uh, the reality is, is that factory owners are not getting the orders they'd like to be getting either for domestic manufacturing and, and sales or for exports. And, and so I think that that's also really creating a bit of a drag on the economy right now. I presume you mentioned those numbers, youth unemployment, one in five people now under the age of 26 are unemployed, 20%. That presumably is a big drag on the economy and also just on sentiment overall. It's hard to be cheerful, isn't it, when there's that number of people, um, young people without a job? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big drag on the economy. And then from a sentiment standpoint, I think there's an additional challenge, which is most of these youth who are unemployed are, in fact, college graduates. And so I think there's a bit of a sentiment right now that perhaps the government has not been doing enough in terms of job creation of high-quality jobs. And so you have a lot of people now entering the workforce who are taking a sit-and-wait approach because they don't want to go into a, a job that, in a sense, underemploys them. And, and so that's a, a really big problem that's quite difficult to solve. Uh, and really, the government's done worse than that, hasn't it? It's not just not created jobs, it's destroyed jobs. If you look at what's happened to the online education sector, which is pretty well wiped out overnight, a lot of graduates would go into um, companies like that. Yeah, it's and, and and this goes back to the the sentiment question for investors and sort of how investable China really is as a market because I think right now there are a lot of sectors that investors might normally be interested in and they just don't have a, a clear understanding of whether there will be government support for those sectors, whether there's going to be heavy regulation, whether all of a sudden, like the education sector, certain things become illegal overnight. And so I, I think that also it creates a, a very difficult story. And, and it is foreigners, isn't it, who have been the big sellers. They sold last week about two and a half billion US dollars of A shares in the first quarter, um, about $27 billion. They seem to be the ones who are bailing out most of all. Yeah, I mean, I think you had a lot of foreign investors that had sort of decided to take the risk and come back into China, uh, regardless of, you know, geopolitical concerns or anything else. They sort of said, listen, it's a big economy. We have to have a position there. We're going to be investing again. China is going to go in the right direction. And now those same foreigners, which were, I think, you know, overall, probably more bullish than a lot of domestic investors uh, are now saying, listen, we just we can't do this right now. We have to pull out and, and wait and see what happens over the next few months. What is interesting is the difference between the Chinese consumer and the U.S. consumer. The Chinese consumer seems quite downbeat. We had the data on Friday, the PCE data, which showed consumer spending in the U.S. hit the highest level of the year. Now, presumably, that can't go on forever, particularly if the U.S. hits a recession. So if the U.S. consumer slows down that's going to be another blow isn't it to the chinese economy absolutely and i and i think the reality is the u.s consumer now is starting to be stretched quite thin when you start looking at the the persistent inflation even though the numbers have started coming back in the right direction the reality is, is still, inflation is still an issue we have very high interest rates cost of borrowing for purchasing a home extremely high people can really fee, feel the the cost increases in the u.s and their wallets now if you have throw in, for example, student loan repayments starting up again sometime soon, you start having a, a potential very big problem for the U.S. economy. So, uh, I, And then because of that, a, a very big challenge for China. I, I think that you're, we're going to find that the demand for Chinese goods is really does not 
bounce back the way a lot of Chinese manufacturers would like, though it will be interesting to see what happens with some of the tariff discussions that are about to be ongoing in the US. So does this is this fully priced in do you think into into Chinese equities or is there more is there worse to come then in that in that case despite the falls that we've seen so far? Uh, my guess is that people have probably tried to price it in but I I think that there are maybe a lot of people who are underestimating what a slowdown in the US might look like given how robust the economy has seemed to be to this point. But I could very much see the next couple of quarters in the U.S. getting getting fairly ugly from a consumption standpoint. So, so I would tend to err on the side of caution right now. Mm. And and what about the AI boom that we're seeing in overseas markets? There's almost like a frenzy, isn't there, at the moment in in AI, particularly chip stocks. Firms like Nvidia, Taiwan Semiconductor, Advantest in Japan, all soaring. It looks like Nvidia is going to become the first trillion dollar um, chip company. Are there equivalent stocks in China that uh, that investors could look at, or is this unique well, to overseas? Yeah. I mean, it's somewhat unique to overseas only because right now, if anybody does true due diligence into the capabilities of these businesses, it's still really companies with an offshore presence, whether in Taiwan or a couple of other markets that have access to the the machines and the IP they need to make the types of chips that are most heavily used for uh, application in AI. But I, I think at the same time, we are seeing... Uh, a lot of interest now in the Chinese chip makers and anybody that thinks they're not going to be moving very quickly to close the gap they now see themselves in uh, would probably be wrong. So I think companies like SMIC uh, should do very well. And I think we are seeing them starting to get quite a bit of interest from investors, whether or not they, they can actually support market demand right now or not. But they're, they're presumably a good couple of years behind, aren't they? Uh, maybe more companies like uh, NVIDIA and, and others. Yeah, I mean, I think probably on the R&D side of things, the reality is there's still a few years behind. And on the, the production side of things as well, they, they are too. But what will be interesting to watch is I, I think a lot of the, you know, the owners of underlying technology or chips that you know previously would have been selling to the Chinese market, whether end product or trying to sell to Chinese chip manufacturers, really would, all things being equal, rather be selling to the China market and would not like to be blocked out the way the U.S. is blocking them out. So I think one way or another, we're going to see technology migrate into China and we're, we're going to see these companies probably pick up ahead of steam fairly quickly. Mm. And, and interestingly, Jensen Huang, who's the founder of uh, NVIDIA, the CEO, is in Taipei at the moment. He's been giving some speeches um, there. He's saying that this chip war um, is also going to do enormous damage to, to the U.S. Um, sort of tech industry. He's basically saying that um, what will happen is Chinese companies will just simply start to build their own chips uh, to rival uh, NVIDIA's. Um, and therefore, the U.S. has got to be very careful. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look over a longer time horizon, that is absolutely going to happen. And I think that what the U.S. has done for for a short term gain has really pushed a lot of Chinese firms into action and, and, you know, sort of increased the amount of government support behind these initiatives as well. So you have a lot of smaller technology companies in China right now that have already started making fairly simple chips. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to see them ratchet up the complexity of what they're able to do over the next one, two, three years. And so I think it will be a lot less time than than maybe some some pundits think before china sort of reaches parity with with the u.s technology 
That, that's the reality. Is, is AI a big game changer? I, I've heard people compare this to like the invention of the smartphone or even the internet, that this is something that's going to be really transformative to the, the corporate landscape and, and also to valuations of some of these companies in the sectors. Do, do you see it that way? You know, I, I've, I've spoken to more people in the past two months who have added AI into the name of their company or into what they say they're doing with their business development. And, the, you know, the reality is a lot of it is hype and a lot of what people are calling AI in sort of fancy terms now, companies have been doing for years and years and years. And, you know, they're, they're, they're writing and refining algorithms that are running on big sets of data behind the scenes. And the answer is yes, the technology absolutely does have uh, pretty interesting business applications, and it it does make it easier to to do business in in various ways, and it, it will become more integrated. But I think there's there's a lot of hype and overstatement about what the capabilities actually are right now. And I, I think you you know every year there has to be a new trend. Right now it's AI. Before it was NFTs. Before it was Bitcoin. And you know there, there'll be a new thing in another six to eight months that, mm. that people will start hanging their hats on. Um, but but. Yes, there will be interesting applications, and there will be some companies that do very interesting things. You've just you've given me a good idea about how to rename my company now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll stick yeah. an AI in it somewhere. Turbocharge that valuation very quickly. <laughs> Indeed. Let me ask you finally about these um, discussions that are going on between Gina Raimondo, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and Wang Wengto, who is her Chinese counterpart. Reason for optimism there? At least they're talking, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I would say, yes, at least they're talking. Uh, it may be the case that nothing substantive goes on paper anytime soon. But I think just the fact that there is dialogue is extremely important, given how frosty things have been. You know, the U.S. doing what it can to slow down certain sectors and then China, um, you know, being quite aggressive in, in the auditing of, of companies here. So I, I think... Uh, I think it can only be seen as a good thing, even if nobody says any final agreement was made. It it it, it represents an openness to talk and an openness to trade, and I think that's what, what both economies and the world more broadly need right now. And we mustn't forget, of course, that the the Trump tariffs, the three hundred and seventy billion dollars worth of tariffs that President Trump imposed on Chinese goods, that they're still there, aren't they? So, um, do you think there's any chance that they're going to get lifted soon? They're still there, and it's it's interesting because I think you know they're they're still being used as a political bargaining tool to some extent, and I think what the U.S. side has essentially said is um, we're not going to take these away unless it makes sense to do so economically. But also, conversely, we we may not keep them in place if it doesn't make sense. So I think from the U.S. perspective, taking some of those tariffs away is is great for relations, assuming that you know China give something back in return. But then also with inflation in the U.S. having been somewhat persistent, this is another way potentially to start bringing down consumer prices as well. So um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic that, that some of the tariffs get rolled back, but I think it's certainly in play right now that some of them do. Ben, always a very interesting to talk to. Thank you very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, who is Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. And thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMAA, 
Asia and Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. Bye for now. Money Talk.